0: At this time in the service, I'd like to um, invite you all to take a deep breath and consider the gospel of Jesus Christ as it, as it is revealed to us in the scriptures. As a community, we've been studying the life and decisions made by a guy who's been uh, very similar to you and I, just encountered the Lord in a really profound way. It's hard to overstate the actual Importance of this guy's work because it's actually rippled out into even us being here today. His name is the Apostle Paul. He wrote a lot of the New Testament, and much of his life post interaction with uh, the Living God Jesus is uh, chronicled in the Book of Acts. So, if you turn to Acts chapter fourteen, it's where I'll be reading from. Um, <coughs> and if you don't know where Acts is, it's basically almost to the end. Uh, three-quarters of the way, and it's after John. So uh, I'll just give you a second to turn there. I tried a couple of jokes first service while people are turning, and it wasn't very funny. So I'll just let you just take your time to get there. We'll all read it together. I don't have anywhere to be. Take all year. And I just thought of that one. I can't believe I haven't been doing New Year's jokes all day. This sermon should get you by for the rest of the year. Okay, so um, if you've got to (laughs) chapter 14 of Acts, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Let's start reading um, about Paul and Barnabas in verse 5. There was a plot... A foot among the Gentile and the Jews together with their leaders to mistreat Paul and Barnabas and to stone them. They found out about it and fled to Lyconian cities, southeast where they were, of Lystra and Derbe, and to continue to the surrounding countryside where they continued to preach the gospel. <coughs> in Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet, and he's lame from birth, and he had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, Stand up to your feet. At that moment, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus. Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls, wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to make sacrifices to them. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes and rushed into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who's made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them In the past, he let the nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food that fills your hearts with joy. But even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some of the Jews from Antioch and Iconium won the crowd over, and they stoned Paul, dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after his disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back in. And the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Let us be strengthened by the word of God. Amen. <coughs> I've prepared some thoughts and challenges for you based on this amazing story from Acts. But before I do, uh, today's a very notable day, so I thought that I would make note why is this day different from all the rest? New Year's Eve, I mean, it's, you only get one last day of the year per year. And I don't know if you're the type of person that likes to evaluate your year or how that works in your uh, your mind, but I'd like to just sort of add a little bit to the noise uh, that goes on in your mind with a few thoughts that I have about this year. Because I'm, if you know me, or if You ask anybody, I am kind of an optimistic person. Kind of a glass half full kind of guy, and actually I can think of a few reasons why an empty glass would be a good reason, you know, too. And so, I take all this with a grain of salt. I might be a little too positive, but it's not because I'm ignorant. I know that this life, or this year, has been hard for a lot of people. A lot of us have experienced loss. A lot of us have... uh, seeing the country do things that, you know, maybe you didn't want to have, and it was hard for you to have some political changes or even natural disasters at times or, or record high random acts of violence that were going on. I mean, there's a lot of things that we know about when you look back in this year and you think that this, this was a hard year. Well, what voice, you know, can win the day can be very important in how we proceed forwards because if you start to look back in this year and think, uh, with a, a cynical or maybe even a nihilistic voice that says, you know what, there's really no hope. The world is getting worse and worse in worse." It could be a hard and a dark place to be. And so I'd like to add a contrast to that. I know that there are things going on that are hard in this world. But I also, maybe I'm just too young, but I haven't given up hope yet. One of the reasons why I haven't given up hope is because I get the privilege of serving at a church filled with people who are constantly doing amazing things. Unfortunately, you go to crossroads and we're humbled to a fault, I guess. Nobody wants to really talk about what they're doing in front of everybody to a fault you know we, we oftentimes just don't broadcast or do big things that say exactly what everybody's doing and, and I have sympathy for the person that comes here and says oh you're just a big church you don't do anything for this city or, or whatever you know, because maybe you've been coming to this church for a long time you just don't know about some of the stuff that people are doing but I actually do and uh, I, I can't believe some of the stuff that people in this room are doing Thinking of this last year alone, you might be sitting next to one of the people that took uh, one of two trips where we got people on a plane fly across the world to the Middle East to just sit with some people who are, who are refugees, not to fix their problem, to hold their hand and say, I'm listening to you, I see you, and I just want you to know you're not alone. Carrying hope, all the way across the world, you might be sitting next to people who, who who are going to stocking elementary school every single week, taking the hand of one child and just saying "You might not have a good influence in the world in your life, but i 'm going to take an hour i 'm going to talk to you and let you know how valuable you are, Not to mention the stuff bubbling up at uh, westwood and and union and other schools in this city where people in this church are, are going to, to talk to talk to the children who might need a mentor. If I get gone, I'm never going to stop. There, there are people in this room, I just saw one, who has spent the entire year in Africa <laughs> reaching out to children who've been affected by AIDS. Maybe nobody knows. There are people in this room who are feeding hungry people, making their entire lives. Just every day, just trying to bring food to people who are hungry in this town. There are people in this church who are boots on the ground, pushing back against sex trafficking in this city, and making some serious headway. I've never been prouder to be a part of a community than I, than I am right now. This church. Not that that should mean anything to you or not, but I just have the microphone on right now, and so I'm just trying to say might be very cold outside, but there is a hot, fierce passion for the kingdom of God in this church. When we look back at 2017, give a round of applause to yourselves, to the work of Christ in this room. Well done. Well done, 2017. That was all I really wanted to say, so everything else is just sort of a bonus uh, footage. What is it, the real at the end of the credits? No, I'm just joking. Uh, back to this story. So the um, thing I want to talk to you about, you know, leading up to 2018 is a word, courage. In order for us to continue to do the things that we've been doing in 2017 and beyond is if we have courage. Of course we can take it farther. I know we've been doing great things. If we can take this, we can do way more than what we're doing. We're not going to do it without thoughtfulness, without sensitivity, without courage. And as we're studying the progression of what the Apostle Paul is doing uh, in his missionary trips uh, in Acts, we really start to see somebody who is filled with courage. And I pray for that for you this year. There are different things that I find inspiring from this story, but for courage for you to be able to grow and to be able to take the gospel even farther than you've ever taken it. This might be a refreshing story for you to read about, about the Apostle Paul. As I'm sure that I've mentioned to you before, I grew up in a church building. Not just I grew up in the church. I grew up in the actual building. There's an apartment attached to the side of the church. And I'm just going to say, you don't get any more in to the church world than what I've been in. So I grew up with a very robust mental image of the Apostle Paul. He's a pen pal of mine, practically. I mean, I... I get his letters, I read them, and I'm just like, this is my friend. And so I'd like to show you a Rembrandt. Uh, it's kind of an image of what I have in my mind of who Paul is. Kind okay, of an older guy, sitting in a room, supposedly a jail cell or somewhere between that and a European hostel or a teenager's bedroom. Um, writing frantically to people all over the world. He's a brilliant writer. And that's pretty much how I view the Apostle Paul. Paul. Now, things are great with that. This is a true picture of him. This is who he was. He did write. He did go to jail. He was old. But there are sometimes the things when you have this mental picture that just don't really add up. And when you read 1 Corinthians 11, you start to see things when he says, you know, whether in body or in spirit, I don't know. I was caught up into the third heaven. I saw things. I can't tell you what I saw. I heard things that are unutterable. You start to think, well, good for you. Spiritual, Luke Skywalker, Paul. Uh, You know, doing stuff that I'll never get to do. And there's a little bit of a, how am I supposed to connect with this guy? Kind of a refreshing shade on the canvas when we read stories like we do in Acts 14. I have another picture. Another picture that's just as true as the one before. This is called the stoning of St. Paul. This could be your mental picture of him. Now, of course, you reread 1 Corinthians 11, and you see him saying things like, I have been shipwrecked day and night in the open sea. I've been in prison. I've been hunted by the Gentile. and by the Jew. I've been beaten. I've been hungry. I've been stoned. Now it's starting to make sense why a few verses later he says, you know, and I saw some stuff too. I got hit in the head with a five-pound piece of limestone, and I saw some stuff in heaven that I keep telling you about. That's what happens. Uh, It's important for us to see both of these pictures in contrast because this is somebody who backs up what he's writing with his actual life experience. It's important for us to see that because we live in a day where there are so many words. There are so many comments and tweets and opinions and things getting put out there. And everybody's got kind of the similar volume. Several times this year, I've had conversations with people who've said, you know what, I get what the Apostle Paul is saying, I just disagree. I might be a little old-fashioned. But I think the Apostle Paul is writing something. He's not just writing a tweet and an opinion that he just came up with. He's actually somebody empowered by the Holy Spirit and backs up through the fact that his life is over and over, he's, he's giving his life for this message and for this sake. He's going out on a limb again and again and getting physically hurt because of what he's trying to do for the kingdom. And I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I start to realize that I don't trust anybody who doesn't walk with a limp because they wrestled with God. I think that this is the mental image that, we got, that we're starting to see in, in, in Acts. From a guy filled with courage and willing to get out there and actually receive physical trauma because of it. This is the Apostle Paul. A couple things I'd like to observe from the angle of courage uh, from this story um, for you to consider. First thing I'd I'd like to notice is, is that Paul has the courage to go to the outsider, Paul has the courage to go the outsider. (coughs) This is kind of the meta-narrative of Paul's life and his ministry, but it's also something that takes great courage. Any innovative thinker or, or somebody in the room that kind of is off the beaten path know how lonely it can be to actually do something that your own tribe says is wrong. It's really hard to go against your own tribe, but as I read in that first verse, the Jew and the Gentile are against him. So he's got something that he's dealing with, and not a lot of people understand where he's even coming from in his day. Now I was at a, one of the young adult Bible studies recently, and somebody said to me, why, are, why is there so much violence, and he's killing people who, aren't Christian, who are Christian, and now they're seeking to, and it seems like there's so much violence in the stories of the Bible that it can be, we, we can desensitize ourselves to them and think that they're just nonsensical. Well, let me tell you, there is logic to everything that they're doing. There is a reason why Paul is on the run from both of these people groups. And I will tell you a little bit of why. Not the whole story. I'll just tell you there's, there's, there's a piece of why that I think is pretty significant. Now, if you were Paul and you're trying to reach out to the Greek or to the Gentile and you're, you're dealing with somebody who believes in all sorts of different gods, they have a pantheon full of gods that represent different things, and if you serve them and make them happy, you can kind of get sort of the benefit of what they were to offer. So he's kind of got to have to talk to them in a really interesting way because if you make the wrong person mad, you can actually start to see how that will affect everybody's, uh, everybody's belief about their crops and their livelihood. Um, We try to explain this a little more clear. I just, for some reason, got distracted. Um, There's no separation of church and state, first of all. So you and I right now could disagree about God, and we both can work at Starbucks, and it's fine. But if you disagree with uh, somebody in their day, you could actually have, based on your theology, implications that will cause you financial, social, uh, political grief. Think of somebody in our time that commits a felony. We all kind of agree that we all should sort of team up together to stop that from happening. Well, Paul is considered felonious for some of the stuff that he's doing, and so of course people are going to surround them or rally together to sort of uh, take him down. Now, what is happening is he's kind of subverting uh, the fastest growing religion of their time, which is what? Emperor worship. The newest god to their pantheon is the emperor. So Caesar has all kinds of things that, you know, uh, that he's promising for the people. And if you mess with that, the gods will be angry with you. We aren't going to have crops. We aren't going to have kids. We aren't going to have what we need to survive. And so anybody that challenges that would possibly be comparable to a terrorist. Of course, how we would treat somebody who is threatening our way of life. And so he says things that are constantly trying to that are just seeming like he's, he's kicking the hornet's nest or poking the bear with some of his words. I mean, even in chapter nine, you remember, as soon as he became a Christian, he starts saying this word, this, this phrase, the Son of God. I mean, you don't have to say that. I mean, he used saying that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, how does Caesar proclaim that he is divine? By saying, I'm the Son of God. So now he's going around saying, uh, no, Caesar's not the son of the God. Jesus is the son of God. Okay. What about the word gospel used a hundred times in the Bible? This is a word invented for Caesar to, to proclaim the good news of his health and prosperity. And what he's bringing to us is the gospel of Caesar. And what does Paul say? I don't care about the gospel of Caesar. I care about the gospel of Jesus. These are politically and theologically charged words that he's using. Every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. There's a reason why people are either accepting this or violently against this. He's got to weave his way in and out of trying to figure out how to talk to people who are dealing with that. But he is not in a vacuum himself. Paul is a Jew. And so the Jews in this uh, society that, ha- that believe in many different gods are kind of grandfathered in as a, um, antique, or not antique, an, um, an ancient kind of religion where they're allowed to actually be a monotheist. They're getting certain benefits of because they're an older religion, they're allowed to sort of not participate in certain things. So if we were Jews and one of our people was to say, uh, get a bad... Re- you know, reputation with the people or the guy who's in charge of making all the rules, and he's subverting that, he's representing all of us. Of course, we're going to say, you know what, that guy needs to stop talking. He's going to wreck it for all of us. So, as I said, this is a little piece of the puzzle here. I'm not flattening out their entire society, but this is a piece as to why both of these people are, are getting groups together to stop him. But, if you are an innovative type of person and you know what it feels like to go out on a limb, you also know that no matter what they do, you're not going to stop. That conviction is so deep that even if you mess it up and fumble around and you're, and you're just still, you're not going to stop going for it. And it takes great courage in the midst of both of these noises surrounding Paul to actually keep moving forward and trying. So maybe some of you are starting to hear about Paul kind of really trying to get to the outsider and you're starting to actually think maybe that's a little bit of my gift too. Paul's world is saying that there's no place at the table for the Gentile. His family doesn't get it. His tribe doesn't get it. And he's going out to them and saying there's room for you in this family. He goes out to this backwoods city He doesn't have a Jewish presence there, doesn't have a place for him to go and be safe with his own. And he stands there and he says, I'm going to let you know that you're welcomed into this. The outsider. People think that Paul and Jesus have such different theologies and different philosophies. But Paul sometimes is just misunderstood. I see him as brilliantly interpreting what Jesus meant and stood for. As he interprets, what, what does it mean for me to follow Jesus who left where he was, went to the outsider, reached out to the leper, helped the woman who was caught in a, you know, who, who, who was willing to eat with tax collectors and sinners, who was willing to be associated with the drunk and the glutton, who was willing to have his reputation in shambles for the outsider? How do I do that? The Gentile. And so he keeps moving farther and farther out there. And not only that, but he gets to this city full of them. And then who's the first person he sees? The outsider of the outsiders. A man who's never walked. How long has he been sitting there? How long do you think it's been since somebody noticed him? He's been sitting in that same seat for years, and I'm sure it seems like he's just sort of part of the furniture here. People are just walking by, and he's the unseen in this society. Paul goes to that person, and he says, I see you. And I don't know all about how miracles work. I think they're awesome. I think we should pray for them. Of course, um, they're miraculous, and so you never really get that all figured out. But I think that God has a special place in his heart for people who, who reach out to the underdog, to the outsider, who see that person that everybody else can't see and says to them, I'm gonna pray for you. I wanna, I wanna tell you about God's love. If that's you right now and you start to think, that's, that's actually something that I really care about too. I wanna encourage you. you're thinking about this next year, think about, keep speaking up to people around you. But I really want to encourage you to know that you're going to have to leave your circle and go out to the outsider. I moved into this town from a different town, okay? I'm not going to get into that, of course, but I know how Grand Rapids can be. Grand Rapids can sometimes get so clicky and so, you know, uh, G.R. Jerusalem, we've got our own little, you know, <laughs> groups and our own traditions and our own, you know, thing, and, and it can be really hard to break into because it's safe and it's fun, and it's almost like even once somebody gets a little bit in, all of a sudden it turns into this every man for himself thing, and I can't believe I've got friends. It's so amazing. Leave me alone. You know, and so uh, we need to be a people who are willing to follow Jesus and say, no, I came to seek and save the lost. The physician has come, not for the healthy, but for the sick. Let's get out there and actually see the outsider. To see that leper or the, 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 the lame man and to speak to him and say, you, there's room for even you. God's arm is not too short for even you. Let's find ways of getting to the outsider But it takes courage. It takes getting out of your comfort zone to do that. If that's you, I just want you to think about your New Year's. Think about your resolution. Think about praying for courage to be able to continue to go see the outsider in your family, in your friend circle, or the people that you see on on a daily basis who might feel like they're alienated, and try. Paul had the courage to seek the outsider. Another thing I noticed is is that Paul had the courage to clarify. We live in a time where it's very sometimes convenient to not clarify anything you know uh Paul I'm sure could have just taken a win after this he has the uh he has the miracle happen that's kind of a big high five from God right, and then it's like. All right, everybody's celebrating. They're obviously into it. So let's just sort of let this go and circle back later. Maybe we'll talk about Jesus another time and just sort of take the W. Um, But he has the courage to clarify some things. And I think this is a really important thing to do because there's a lot of times where we could... See, people around us who are confused and who are thinking that God is a certain way, but we aren't willing to step in and actually make the delineation and clarify. We live in an age where it's actually a a cool idea to think, you know what, we're all praying to the same person. It's just different names. There's no need to clarify anything. Paul has to step into this because, like I said before, he's speaking to a totally different context, a totally different story. He can't use the Hebrew story to speak to them. He can't, you know, he doesn't even start with Jesus is God's son, he's God in human form. They've got God in human form down. They know about all, they've got stories about that. And that would be a little too confusing. She he doesn't go there. They even have stories that have been found that predate Paul in this area that say that Zeus and Hermes actually disguises themselves as humans and pop into towns every once in a while and see who would receive them. So naturally, they're ready for Zeus and Hermes to be here. And so he's got to sort of clarify some things. And um, here's a snapshot of what I see him saying. First thing he clarifies to them is he's not God. Verse 15, what's he say? Look, brothers or friends, I am a, we are humans. We are men just like you. If you're a ministry-minded person like Paul, this is a very important thing, a very healthy sign if you're able to say this very quickly. I'm not God. I grew up with a friend who struggled with a lot of different things than me, um, drugs and all kinds of stuff. And I don't know why, we were just best friends in the world. And I felt like for a long time, I'm a linchpin between him and God. And if I mess this up, he's never going to get it. And I've got to live this way and I've got to treat him this way. I've got to do this and do this. And there was so much pressure on my shoulders to make sure that I get this right or else he's never going to get it. I need to say this to myself. I'm not God. You ever hear somebody say, you know, I can't break up with so-and-so because I'm their only link to Christianity? Or I can't make this hard decision in the family and set this boundaries and do this around. They, they're, they're the only. We're the only Christian that they know. What about parents who sometimes say that they're not going to let their kids do anything because uh, they're afraid of the decision that they're going to make? I'm not God. It's a freeing thing to be able to say, and it's true. Sometimes, with you, when you're in ministry and you know people are starting to sort of listen to you or you're praying for somebody and then they become sort of a mentee for you, it can be so, it can feel so good to be God to them. Of course, you want somebody to ask for your advice and ask for this, but you know what? There comes a time when relationships, uh, in relationships where you have to look at somebody and say, I am not God. You have what it takes to get there. I do not need to be here. You remember what Jesus said. Ask, seek, and knock, and the door is going to be open to you. You have what it takes to find God. You know where the source is. I'm going to shrink, and he's going to grow. Got to be able to trust God and let go and say, of course, I'm not God. If we're holding on too tight to the reins, there's something for you to think about. Listen to the words of Paul. Another thing he says is, not only does he say, I'm not God, but he also says that that guy's not God either. (laughs) I'm sure they're standing nearby a shrine to Zeus. There's the idol. There's the statue. And what does he say next? Turn from uh, worshiping these worthless things and turn to the living God. I'm not God, and that's not God. Of course, in our consumeristic month, and even if we're planning on doing New Year's resolutions and stuff like that, this can be a target-rich environment for us to hitch our wagons to certain idols. Not all New Year's resolutions are created equal. <coughs> of course, I love it when somebody says to me, you know, my New Year's resolution is to be a better man, read the Bible, I'm gonna be a better husband or a better wife, or I'm going to, you know, really try and, and step it up with my parenting skills or whatever. I think that's great. Set goals. Be noble. But are your resolutions and your goals egocentric? Once we start making things centered around our own egos and around our own pride, we start scoring points for the wrong team. Do you know that there is a difference between getting closer to God and looking like you're closer to God and seeking to look like you're closer to God? You know that there's a difference between being healthy and trying to look healthy. Pride is pride, and it can be behind some of our most noble goals. But there comes a time where you have to be able to look and say, that is not the living God. I make it into a God. It's God to me, but that is not the living God. I will not bow down to that idol anymore. It's not the living God to to even make a cause or something of social justice to be, it's not right to make that into God. Of course it's a good thing. A mission or something that you're trying to do can become the God to you. It's not the living God. A relationship or even uh, the way you look or social media or, 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 or leisure activities can easily become the thing that we, make, that we center our life around and we pour our hearts into. It's not the living God. Finding a job, having a career, having some status is not living God. It's worthless idol. If you pour your heart into it, sometimes you got to say, "I'm gonna turn. I'm gonna set a boundary. I'm gonna make sure that my uh, pursuit of this is pure, and I'm not, and I'm not, uh, and I'm gonna seek the living God." Next thing he says is, "You know, I'm not God. That's not God, and." God's a lot closer than you think. God's a lot closer than you think. Sometimes in their culture and in our culture, we can start to make games out of how far away God is and how I can get him to manipulate him to get me this and do that. How can I make God happy with me? How far away is he? Can he hear my voice or can he hear, you know, my smell, my offering to him or whatever? And his choice here is to say, that God is a lot closer than you think. Now I have a lot of ideas about general revelation because I have a sneaky suspicion that some of our greatest questions and our deepest desires in life are answered by some of the most obvious and wonderful realities of creation. And maybe God would just be like that to actually set up creation to speak to us about him so clearly. Because this is the stuff that we all are struggling with. I was looking at the snow on the first surface and I was just thinking, think about it. What does David say Psalm 51? Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Is something that we get to look at, that God made. And I wonder, how loud will that speak to you? How will, will, you ever, will we ever receive that reality, that God can wash us whiter than snow? Could it be true? I don't know if you're like me, but your heart really does wonder, how clean am I? How, how deep is that cl- cleansing that you say that you do to me? How pure am I? How, how forgiven am I? Maybe you'll have it stop snowing so much if we could actually get this lesson. Did you teach me a lesson with warm weather, God? Please. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> it's not even talking. Oh, yeah, you know, Abraham, I mean, he's struggling with how things are going to work out with his, his child that's yet to be born. He doesn't know how it's going to happen. What's he want? He wants a list. He wants, you to, he wants God to tell him exactly how this is going to happen. What does God do? He says, let's go outside, look at the stars, count them, if you're able to count them. You can't count them. I know he, did the, he just did that to do something to Abraham, to say, no, it's not going to be tidy. You can't count them. You can't make a list of all the stars, but I can, and that's why they're there, to tell you that I've got this. I can do this. I am so much more wonderful than you think. You're not going to get a right angle out of me. Paul says to these guys, you wonder if, if, if God's nearby you. You wonder if he's benevolent, if he actually is, is freely loving everybody. Look at the rain. Of course, Christ does the same thing. And he says, God's love is, is unconditional and for everybody. He causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. He causes the sun to shine on the good and the bad. And that's the testimony to his kindness that he left for you to know. That's the way he's like. He's unconditional and he's unlimited. You should have your love for your enemy just like him. Where it's freely given as much as you possibly can. So that people can know that God's a lot closer than we tend to think. Paul had the courage to clarify here, and I wonder if somebody in your world that you're thinking of right now, they have the wrong idea about God. I don't know where your comings and goings are, but I know that there are a lot of people in this world that have a lot of misunderstandings about the way God is, who he is, who he loves, what he's like, is he mad? Is he like a good marriage? Is he like a bad marriage? Is he like a good dad or is he like a bad dad? What is he like? And I wonder if this could be something that you think about this year is, is that you actually step up and have courage and pray for the courage to clarify with that person that's on your heart right now. God being known to them is worth it for you to just sort of have the conversation and say, you know what, that's not God. I'm not God. But you know him. And his goodness can't be known by you. Let's count the stars. Look at the rain. I have the courage to clarify. Last thing that I found was really interesting about this, before I let you go, is Paul has the courage to keep going. Notice in verse 19 and 20, his, um, his resilience is remarkable. They take him, and they stone him. If you know what stoning is, it's kind of a primitive version of the firing squad. You know, if everybody's throwing a rock, nobody really knows which of the one was the one, you know? And, and we're all kind of doing this together, and it's, it's, it's a form of... A, Really terrible execution. They think that he's dead and they take him out. And then again, he stands up, walks right back in, gets his stuff together the next day and he keeps going. I have a couple ideas about this kind of thing. Of course, we all have the same call as the Apostle Paul. We all are called, in a general sense, to be a representative of who Jesus is, to tell the people that are around us that God has made a way for us to have peace with him and to find our way home. But we also all, I think, just like we have our own unique faces, have our own unique niche of where we work that calling out in. Of course, if we're all together, uh, some kind of flavors, you know, we're all meant to Flavors are meant to go with certain things, to go with certain people, and, and certain people like to eat certain things. And that's okay, because a taco never said to an hamburger, I don't need you. Of course we do. I wasn't mean for that to be funny. I don't even know why I said that. I, I got into the flavors. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is everybody has a niche. Fearfully and wonderfully made. You're all beautiful, and you all have a reason and something that's on your heart. We're, we all don't have to do the same thing. I love that. We all complement each other like sour cream and lettuce on the taco. It's all a compliment. It's all going together. What is your flavor? And the more that you can d- discern that, the more you can sort of figure out the thing that really gets you excited um, or why you are where you are. Pat, Rod asks us all the time. Who are you and why are you here? Because he also believes that God is perfect aim. And he shot each one of us like an arrow. And it's a bullseye to where you're supposed to be. And you need to, to find ways of actually figuring out what's my flavor in this, in this specific context. And the reason why I say that is because Paul knows what his specific mission is. Of course he knows his call. But he knows the specific mission is for the Gentile and building up churches in Europe and Turkey. And he doesn't swim in any other lanes. He doesn't really do much other stuff. He's just giving his life to that one mission. And when you do that, it doesn't matter if you get stoned by them or not. It he, this is what you were made to do. And of course, you're going to keep going even if there's opposition. Kind of the principle here that I'm working with is is that I'm just not sure that opposition is ever a good confirmation that you're not meant to be in this mission that you're on. It can mean a lot of things. But I'd be very careful to justify giving up just because there's opposition. Opposition. I know that life is complicated. There's a lot of different things going on in everybody's life. But generally speaking, if you're in a marriage, this is an easy one. This is a mission for you to your spouse. And that's something that you will continue to, even if you receive opposition in many different ways, that's something that you'll continue to get up and serve your spouse because of the love that you have for them. It's not seen as something that you're doing that's just sort of out of, uh, out of the blue. It's seen as something that you do because this is what you're called to do. This is what you know you're supposed to do. Of course, missions and flavors and stuff, these are all confusing words. The thing that you're meant to do is something that I think you get confirmed by, by this feeling that you have that the Lord is actually uh, inspiring in your heart. But don't let opposition be the thing that tells you that you should or shouldn't. Of course, what does St. Peter say? Don't think it's strange when you experience trials and suffering of many kinds. Just count it a privilege to join in the sufferings of Christ. What does Jesus say? Anybody that wants to be my disciple has to pick up their cross and follow me. The walk of the Christian is the Via Dolorosa Rosa. Of course we're going to experience opposition. Of course we're going to experience pain. But it takes courage. and It takes resilience for us to stand up after being pushed down and say, I'm going to head back in. And if you have a propensity to flake out and, and give up, I want you to pray this morning for the courage to keep going. For the sake of your marriage, for the sake of something that's on your heart and in your, in, in your world, keep going. Get back in there. It's part of the gig. I'm going to leave you, of course, with this verse from Hebrews 12 that's on my heart right now. For you all to throw off the idolatry and the sin that so easily entangles us and trips us up. For you to run the race that was specifically marked out for you to run. And to fix your eyes on Christ, who is the author and the perfecter and the greatest example that we could ever have of our, in our faith who, for the joy set before him, endured the shame of the cross. and He is now seated at the right hand of God, but consider him who had such opposition from sinners so that you can have endurance to keep going. Follow the courage to seek the outsider. Be the courage to clarify, even though it was inconvenient. And also the courage to keep going after great opposition. And I pray that you also would pray for this Inspiring story of Paul, who's inspired by our champion, uh, to have courage this year, whatever way that you're going to go. Let's pray. Think through it. Thank you for the snow. Thank you for how brilliantly white the snow is. Thank you for the rain. Thank you for uh, not leaving us without a testimony of kindness. Thank you for your word. It's alive and it's active and it's sharp and it's ministering to us even now, Father. And I pray that if any of us uh, are being beckoned by you to give up trying to be safe and to seek the outsider, that you would just confirm that right now and give them courage to be able to do that in whatever way that they seem wise. I pray for also any of us who are confused about uh, if we're God or not, or if we're taking, uh, stepping on your toes in, in as far as ministry goes, and that we would surrender all the people around us to you, and that we would try and become less so that you could become more. Please, reveal the idols that are in our lives. and Help us to actually be able to look at them and say, you're not my God. And if any of us, Father are weak and weary in whatever way uh, possible today. Pray for, I pray for us all that you would give us strength and courage to keep going. That you would tell my brothers and sisters that there's still hope. It's going to be hard, but there's still hope. And there will be a day when the skies will open and you'll say, Behold, the dwelling place of God is going to be with man. You will wipe away every tear from our eyes. You'll right all the wrongs that are around us, and everything will be as it should be. And until that day comes, we're going to stay strong, Father, by your grace and with your strength. Amen. All right, my friends, I pray that you carry the blessing of God into this year with you as you go. The Lord will bless you, and he'll keep you, watch over you. He will, he's got you. The Lord will watch He'll keep you. The Lord will make His face to shine upon you graciously. He's smiling at you. He'll lift up His His countenance upon you. His full attention, and that will bring you peace. Whatever life comes this year, receive the peace that you have with the Father. Amen. Happy New Year, friends.